I don't think that anyone ever sets out to major in the minors so that they fail majorly in what matters most. Thanksgiving is coming, and I'm pretty sure there's never been someone that did this intentionally. No one serving Thanksgiving plans to nail the decorations and forget to pull the turkey out of the freezer. Anybody done it? You don't have to raise your hands. To perfect the polish, but sacrifice the substance. No one hosting their family for Thanksgiving plans to nail the meal and the cleanup and ignore all of their guests, though some of you, maybe that is intentional, but most don't want to get an A for an appearance, for appearance and an incomplete on interpersonal investment. But how often have these very things happened despite our best efforts, so caught up in nailing the minor details that we miss something major? We're in week two of Injustice for All, where this week we get to get up close and personal with the words of Jesus about justice, uh, warnings to his disciples and to the crowds, hear his critique of the most religious, the, the most pious people of their day, a warning about majoring in the minors when it comes to doing justice. And can I just say that if you didn't get a chance to hear week one, Pastor Brian uh, led us through uh, last week, uh, masterfully, I think, uh, leading us through uh, Micah chapter six, particularly, uh, helping us understand uh, how to take first steps into justice, to to hear what God means and what scripture means when we say doing justice, because it's not the same thing as what necessarily the world means uh, by those words. Um, also, just a, a reminder that, uh, of how to be guided into doing that justice, that it, we can't do it apart from his son, that, that, that he took the punishment for us so that we might have life and freedom. Our doing justice is only possible when we're empowered by what he has done, what Jesus has done. So if you didn't catch that, uh, go back. You, you saw the connections at the beginning here. Uh, YouTube or uh, the podcast version of their both you can find on the holycrossgenison.org right on the first page you land on. So I encourage you to go back there if you've not caught it yet. But nonetheless, today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23, uh, and we're going to be uh, looking through more than just what was read a minute ago. Uh, so please pull your Bible out. So there is one in the pew in front of you there or in a basket or along the side nearby or pull out your digital version, whatever works for you. We'll be working our way all the way through Matthew. Matthew 23 in the course of this. As you're getting there, um, let's talk about Matthew 21 and 22 and what what leads up to this portion of Matthew 23. Uh, It's been dialogue between the Pharisees and experts of the law and Jesus. Uh, So these, the most pious people, the ones that get to to church first, the the ones that are always there and even come on Wednesdays, these are the guys that have learned all the stuff and they've been coming to Jesus with questions. Uh, And is it questions in order to trick him and prove he's wrong or because they want to learn some more, uh, we can debate about that, but he certainly answered some tough ones, like, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he's given this famous, we'll give to Caesar what's Caesar, and to God what's God. So the demand of God in your life doesn't go away while you live in this world, but yet you got to find a way to live in both of those things, making God uh, most of all. Uh, and he's taught them what the kingdom of God is like, has uh, largely said, hey, it's coming soon, and you don't know when exactly it's going to get here, so live like you think it's coming quickly. He's answered the most important commandment out there as they look at all of the laws out there. What's the most important? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your, well, do you guys know this one? Love your 
neighbor as yourself. Yes, he answered a twofer for the most important commandment. I love that move. Uh, And then he puts them on his heel, on their heels with a question that those experts in the law couldn't answer. And it's just said like, hey, they didn't want to ask him anything more because this guy clearly knows what he's talking about. And into that silence, Jesus speaks again, this time turning from the experts in the law and the Pharisees that, that he was having dialogue with to his disciples and the crowds that were with him. And they're talking now about the experts in the law and the Pharisees. And this is where we begin, Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the disciples, to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. He goes on, verse 5, if you skip down a little bit, everything they do is done for men to see. And he goes on and talks about the, the robes that they wear and the ways that they ask to be addressed and kind of wraps it all up there. If you skip ahead to verse 12, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever, what does it say? Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. A warning. And then he turns to the Pharisees and starts dropping the woes. Now, this is not like the 2019 TikTok cool kind of like catch the woe kind of thing. No one was wanting to catch any of these things. Rather, this was the y'all should know better. But since you clearly don't, here you go. Woe to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, eh, you hypocrites. Uh, Laura read this for us before, and and, uh, Mike Eichberger read it in the early service today. And I'll tell you, the first time that I read through this, the the exact sort of uh, intonation is exactly how I would have come at it as well. But as I studied some more, and as as they say the word hypocrite, I learned that uh, different than in English, where hypocrite usually means primarily uh, you know better and you uh, knowingly don't do stuff. So it's an intentional kind of thing. This one was just just as much and uh, has like the unintentional uh, uh, doing in mind. So you might know better and know the right things to do and you're not following through with it, but you don't know it. It's not intentionally uh, differing from what you know, but rather isn't uh, like, I, I don't know that I wasn't doing what I should have been doing or I don't know that my life is not lining up with the teachings that I've been teaching. There's a bit of a, they don't know what they don't know. To which, if I'm speaking to somebody who does know that their life is inconsistent with it, I might say it exactly the way that Laura did and the way that that Mike did. You hypocrites, like, come on. But if they don't know what they don't know, I wonder if the tone in Jesus, the, the tone that Jesus approaches with is completely different. I mean, how how do you approach uh, a child that that doesn't know what they don't know? And just messed up. Uh, Or someone that's really hurt someone else and they, they really didn't realize that they had done that damage. I wonder if it's with tears in his eyes and and aching in his heart that he says, guys, you you hypocrites. Don't you see it? He talks about them uh, many times as, you blind guides. 
don't you see? I, I, I can see what you don't see, and let, let me help you. Let me help you see it. Woe to you, Pharisees. You experts in the law, you're hypocrites. Before I go any further, it's, it's worth asking, why is it that we even care about what, what Jesus would have to say about experts in the law and Pharisees and calling them hypocrites, whether that was intentional or not intentional, whether there's room for both? Why is it we should care that he is laying it down on them? Why is he saying these things to the Pharisees now after having addressed his disciples and the crowds and turning to them and within earshot of them clearly uh, laying this out there? Because the Pharisees and the experts in the law, as much as they get nailed to the wall by Jesus plenty of times, they were people that were much like you and I. They were the regular attenders. They were the ones, they were lifers. They've been at it for forever. They were passionately going after these things. How many of you put yourself in that category? We're, we're there, many of us. This has just been the whole of our lives. He's talking to, to these people uh, in the company of others who are striving to be followers of Jesus or are listening in enough and are curious about being a follower of Jesus. And if we're, we're going to look at what it is to be a follower of Jesus, here's an opportunity to let those that are ahead of us be a mirror for us, to let the mistakes of another not become our mistakes, to let their lives be a mirror for our own lives. Because we too want to be not just passionately following Jesus and thinking we've got it, but actually doing it. Remember those words of Jesus as we step into this. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Sorry, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever, what? Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 23, the focus for today. Woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give, a, you give a tenth of even your spices, your dill and mint and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, but without neglecting the former, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You have majored in the minors, and you failed majorly on what matters most. Let me help you unpack what, what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about their tithing, to which they were commanded, and which this was a good thing. And when they tithed, they were caring for other people. They were making sure that the priests in the temple were cared for. They were making sure that their livelihood continued and the, the services of God's house would be continued. They also were enabling that when people would come to the synagogue and have needs, whether orphans or widows, that they would be able to care for them. These are good things. It wasn't bad. But that their piety, then their piety led them to not only uh, be concerned about tithing the things of like all of their fields and, and all of their, their, their flocks and, and animals, but, but they would even go down to, uh, I'm going to tithe even the little bit of mint and dill from my garden. Like there's a little bit of it here. So I'm going to snip the top off of it and I'm bring that to church as well. And a little bit from the cumin and a little bit from this. Like they're, they're, they're so focused on making sure they don't 
don't miss tithing anything so they don't mess that up. Uh, and they're very proud of themselves for making sure that they even do these little things in addition to the big ones, which he's, which he's saying, not a bad idea that you'd let the whole of your life be led to be something that, that is uh, under the direction of God, that, that his ruling uh, is about not just the big fields, but the little things as well. But he's saying, you got so focused on these things, tithing even that little stuff, that you've missed the bigger things of justice and of mercy and of faithfulness. See, it's a good thing unless your pursuit of tithing, every minuscule gift from God, leads you to not end up sharing one of the biggest gifts that God has given you, his love and his forgiveness and you being the embodiment of God to the world. They end up so consumed with well-intended minor technicalities of the faith, or potentially even you could consider it kind of their own rules that they've made for themselves, even ones that I wonder if they'd be like, hey guys, uh, I not only tithe my field, but, but even the, the tomatoes in my garden. We only got three this year, so I brought one in. Uh, I mean, they were uh, proud of these things, and, and maybe so focused on them that maybe they didn't have time for, or they didn't even notice that they neglected the major things which God had tasked them to do. Uh, if we're going to do the, the Adam Peck translation, in short, it's, you're all caught up in tithing the turmeric while Rick is down the street on his way to an early tomb because he's starving. And you don't even see it. You blind guides. And then Jesus, this next part really is Jesus speaking in hyperbole, verse uh, 24. Uh, he's just uh, putting it out there. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Let me help you understand what's going on here. They were not supposed to eat any swarming insects. Uh, and so they were so concerned about uh, not eating the swarming insects, like if a gnat had fallen into their cup of wine, they were straining it out so that they'd make sure that they could really do a good job and were proud of themselves for making sure that they didn't eat any swarming insects. Meanwhile, you're eating a camel. Like, how could you miss that? I mean, the cue the laugh track. By the way, Jesus had a sense of humor. Do you realize that about him? And then 25 and 26, 27, 28, 29, he continues on the same track, likening them to cups with spotless ex exteriors, but dirty interiors, like a, like a whitewashed, really uh, polished up tombstone, but a tomb within that is filled with rotting bones. He calls out their appetite for keeping up appearances and the selfishness and greed and wickedness that was below the surface that they may or may not have even been aware of Jesus' points. We, they, but we, can end up arrogantly faithful, but totally missing the mission. We can end up self-indulgent hypocrites. We can end up so focused on what's on the outside, what it is to be a good Christian, and that other people are going to evaluate me on based on what they see, and so I'm going to keep up with those things, but I don't look at what's inside my heart that they can't see, but why I'm doing those things or what I really think or feel. Uh, and he, he warns, skip ahead to verse 33, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? All of these woes, all of these warnings saying, hey, 
If in all of your focusing on doing all the little things and all of that, you become so confident in your ability to do all these good Christian things that your confidence is in you, you've missed Jesus. And if you miss Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, you're missing the life that's to come. So be careful you don't miss Jesus and you're living out your religious life. It's not all accusation and error pointing, though. Go all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's speaking to them, to them as a whole. So now what's in view is anybody who's a follower of God, anybody who's in that family. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing the good news picture here is of, of a God that, that would welcome them in, that would put them under the shelter of his wing, that would provide and protect uh, for them. Be willing to be under his care rather than confident of their own care for others that other people can see. Stop being self-confident and instead be God-confident that he will provide for me, that even in the, the messiness and the grayness of, of the world out here, the things that are far from black and white, that he'll provide that he will care, that he will, he will mother us and care for us and protect us like a mother hen does her chicks. One who will major in the majors as they say about him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those were the words spoken as Jesus rode in on a donkey at the beginning of the week when he would be crucified. Those were the words spoken about Jesus who there was majoring in the majors, the most important thing, going to the cross, dying in our place in a time ascending to rule in heaven where he waits now to return at the right time. In the meantime, the Father has sent the Holy Spirit, the one given to each of us in baptism, the one who is present and at work in us every time we, we speak this word and read it and meditate on it, the, the one who has promised, as he, John, the words of John wrote, that we will do even greater things than Jesus as that power is at work within us. He sent his Spirit Spirit to remind us of what he said and to teach us all things and what I hear him reminding us of today and striving to teach us is something through the failure of the Pharisees and the hypocrisy of the teachers, the experts of the law, those who would show up the most, those who were passionate the most, those who were dedicated the most, but yet seemed to miss it the most. So the question before us is, this spirit that's present and at work among us today, what is he leading to capture your heart? What is the spirit of God calling your attention to? Are you even willing to consider that there are opportunities to love that you may be blind to? For those, those words of, of to do justice and to show mercy and to act in faith really are just a fleshing out of love God and love your neighbor. Are you willing to humble yourself and to, to re-examine your assumptions of what you've always considered that a good Christian does? Are you willing to consider that the people that you've learned from, maybe even the pastors that have and are leading you, didn't get it all right? That like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are only passing on what they've received, that 
They might be contentedly consumed with the minors while the majors are neglected. It's clear from verse 23 that there are bigger issues. Another translation says weightier issues. That some things are more important than others. That that you're being busy with good things doesn't mean you're doing the right things or the best things or even the things that God especially is calling you to in the unique place that you are in the body of Christ. So, to put it on a pinhead, what could our tithing of spices be? What kind of straining out a gnat things have captured our attention so much that we miss the other things? What are we doing that good Christians do on the surface but our hearts are still filled with selfishness and lack of real care for real people? Could it be that in our faithfully tithing as well. Whether electronically or in an envelope that we drop off on the way out of church in our determined percentage giving, that, that we check that box there and then when needs come along in, in, our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, among our coworkers, we say, nope, I don't have anything left. I already gave it all. I checked that box. Sorry. Could it be that we give our hour on Sunday or two or maybe an extra one during the week, but neglect to see the needs throughout the week in our homes, for being givers of the good news that we've received, for being places of prayer, for speaking good news, for pausing long enough to hear the I'm sorry and give the gift that you've been given. You're forgiven. I won't hold it against you anymore. Could the tithing of spices or the straining out of a gnat be that we so fill up our calendar with church things and with worship and with uh, connections with Christian friends that we don't leave space for those who aren't yet Christians? Whether space in our calendars or space in our hearts or relational capacity to even know the needs that exist in the lives of those who are across the street, across the lunchroom, across the sports field so that we could even know where justice or mercy or faithfulness is needed? Could it be our uberous, uber-generous giving at Christmas to those who are in need of presence, something we as a church kind of pride ourselves in doing well and, and kind of going over the top in those things, but to neglect to get to know the people that receive the presents? to neglect to invite them into our homes or to learn their stories or to share our lives with theirs and not just our presence? Have we just not gone enough steps far enough? As we give food away at the food distribution, maybe you've regularly been a part of these things. Have you, in the regular doing of that, built a relationship with any of the people that regularly have come through the line? I'm pointing at myself here as much as I am to you. This stings. Could our straining out our gnats or tithing our spices apply as we're inundated with commercials about protecting the lives of mothers that didn't intend to be pregnant and protecting the lives of children that are still growing in a womb? Is our vote on this issue, which is certainly about protecting and supporting the life of a mother and a child, both topics which God has a lot to say about and which, in this case, uh, God's word should clearly guide us as we go to the poll. But what I want to deal with today is the question of whether it is, if our vote, if checking the box in the polling booth 
is really the whole of doing justice and showing mercy and acting in faith, or we are contenting ourselves to just vote and neglecting the still weightier issues of the things of being involved in the lives of those whom that law will affect. Is he calling us blind hypocrites if that's as invested as we get to just check a box? If we let ourselves remain too busy to get involved in the lives who find themselves wanting for an abortion, regardless of what the laws of the land make provision for, uh, the fact that there is so much advertising going toward this is proof that there's definitely no shortage of opportunities to show justice, to show mercy, and to walk in faith in the messiness of real life that is not black and white, with the real struggles that it brings. Is that not ultimately what God is calling us to? more than checking a box on a day. That's not to say that we shouldn't vote if we don't have the rest of it figured out, but Jesus definitely said, do the minor things, but don't let that keep you from doing the major. And while we're on the topic, if God does indeed care about life, bringing flourishing to those who are alive and protecting those who are vulnerable and in need of others to come alongside them, could this also apply if we advocate only for life issues that have something to do with pregnancy? but neglect to advocate for lives of those who are on death row, who are their lives any less valuable? Or our failure to advocate for those who are in poor neighborhoods, who continue to have poor education, who have poor opportunities then for getting jobs to help move out of that while our children have great educations and great neighbors and great opportunities. By just focusing on one aspect of life, Are we again neglecting the weightier things of doing justice, showing mercy, living in faith? Lots of questions. Lots of questions worth considering for more than just a few moments in a sermon. Questions that that I can't answer all for you uh, here and now, but I trust the Holy Spirit who is present and at work among us will call to mind the promises of Jesus and teach us uh, along the way. And if you'd like help in discerning these things, Pastor Brian and I are glad to help you learn to discern the voice of God, to help you hear where he wants you to start because it can't be with everything. I've laid out lots of things. But the question is, what is God calling me to here and now? There are more issues and needs of people uh, that will require justice and mercy than what we can even begin to count. But there is a God, and he has counted, and he does know about each and every one of them. And that's why he sent Jesus to redeem and to restore our world, bringing it under his wing like the hen to a chick so that you can welcome others to come under it as well. Friends, you're not God. You can't care about or invest in every opportunity that's out there. Don't try to take its spot. It's already covered. But you will need space to pause. Let me encourage you to start with prayer for humility, to question what you've always assumed, and courage to step into ways you've never walked before. Let me encourage you not to beat yourself up for years of neglect, whether for orphans or widows, immigrants or poor, the refugee or migrant worker, the the incarcerated or the homeless, the unborn child or the terrified mother, the single parent or the elderly person. Don't beat yourself up, but confess. I know that Jesus has already taken it to the cross and God's punishment has already been put on him in your place. You just get to be thankful that you don't have to bear it or anticipate his just punishment coming on you anymore. Instead, out of that generosity that's been given to you, 
as God moves you increasingly beyond the surface level of of voting and donating and small snippets of time or just doing whatever looks good to other Christians so that you can continue to be a good Christian, I encourage you to look for where you can get your heart involved, to pick the one thing that, that rises up in your heart most and go a little deeper so that you not only care about an issue but the people who are struggling with it. So that when you think about that thing, you think not about an issue, but a person, a real life, a face, a struggle, a person with praises and joys, whose life is not black and white, but very gray. And opportunities for justice will be yours when you get involved with real people. And then not only will there be more justice in our world, but I trust that more people will see not just a good Christian, but Jesus in us. They'll see what it's like to be under that wing as they experience your love, God's love, through you to them. And they'll want what else he has to offer. Friends, this is majoring in the majors. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.